Very often when I am writing on our blog or doing a podcast, as such as this one, when I'm recording, the way God leads me and shows me what message to record is I'll be reading the Bible and some scripture will just kind of leap out at me. And as I focus on that scripture, I just get stronger and stronger and more of a message for the church. That happened to me on this recording. I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 4 and got to verse 16. Paul says, Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. And I thought about that. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. And Paul says, Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I thought about taking heed to ourselves. First, that was the thing that I focused on. How am I living? What kind of life am I living on this earth? Do we go the extra mile in dealing with people? Even when they treat us unfairly, do we treat them with good or with everything that we can that is good, that God shows us is good? What do we do with people? Concerning the doctrines, do we live by the doctrines set forth for us by God in the New Testament Bible? Is this what we're living by? This is the only thing safe. And Paul says if we pay attention to the way we live and to the doctrines, in doing this we will save ourselves and those that hear us. First, let me talk to you about taking heed to yourself. Treat other people in a godly way as shown by the Spirit of God. Now, a godly way could be correcting them or it could be warning them. When we had the house that was for sale in Texas, our realtor became upset with us at one point and no longer wanted to work with us. And she sent us an email saying, I think the time has come for us to part ways. It was a little bit shocking to receive that email, but I just responded to her by saying, okay, thank you, because she'd done a lot of work. She and her partner had shown the house several times, but she became upset with us, I think probably because we had some circumstances which happened on that house. Someone made an offer on it, and we accepted the offer. It was $50,000 less than the house had been priced a week before, but we made, we accepted their offer. Then they wanted us to delay and give them more than 10 days. A person ha apparently has 10 days to make a choice and they can get out of the contract within that 10-day period if they want to without penalty. Well, they wanted us to extend it by five more days, which we agreed to do. But at the end of five days, they wanted another extension. And even though they only wanted 24 more hours, 
to make a decision. Pam said no. She was talking to the realtor, and she just said no. No, we won't do that. They must decide now. And I think Pam was right. If there comes a time, you have to decide. Enough is enough. It ties up your property. You need to, you can't afford to keep doing this with people. Some people just string you along and nothing comes from it. So Pam said no, and I thought she was right to say no. But I think the realtor thought she was wrong. And so the realtor told them we would not give them more time, and they declined the house. And after that, immediately after that, we heard from the realtor that they know they thought it was time for us to part ways. So they really weren't with us. Our own realtor was not with us. And all I said was, okay, thank you. I got on the phone. Pam happened to have a migraine headache that the day this happened. And she wasn't able to deal with finding a new realtor that day. And I wasn't able to sit here and not find another realtor. So I just took the phone and got on internet, looked up Lubbock, Texas, and went down the list of realtors and started calling them. And I called the first one and got no answer. I called the second one and somebody answered the phone and said, I will have an agent get back with you immediately. And within five minutes, he called me. And I told him what had happened, that we had a house there and our realtor had decided she didn't want to represent the house any longer. And I wondered if he'd be interested. And he was immediately, I'm sure, looking up the property on his laptop. And when he saw it, it's a very nice property. He said, oh, yes, I'm very interested in this house. And he said, I will go over immediately and look at the house. And so he did. He went over and got the key from the previous realtor, because I don't live in Lubbock. I live in Colorado. And this is in Lubbock, Texas. And he went over immediately and got the key from the previous realtor, who had just quit that morning, and went and looked at the house. And he called me back, and he said, oh, yes, I want to represent this house. And we discussed what to do to have it sell, and we agreed on everything. And I told him, go right ahead. We'd sign with him. So we did. We signed immediately with him. He had to have new pictures taken of the house to put it on the uh, uh, Internet. So he said, within 24 hours, I'll have those pictures, and we can relist the house on Internet, which he did. In the meantime, the previous buyers who had made the offer on the house and wanted all the extensions wanted the house. By that time, we'd raised the house in price by $7,000 because these previous buyers who'd made the offer on the house had it inspected. And there were several things we were going to have to have done to the house, and it was going to cost us more money than we had expected, so we raised the price. We were only going to do that sale price for one week anyway. So we put the new price out there, and then when the old buyers came back, there was a new price. The house was now $7,000 more, but it was explained to them that was just a one-week offer, and they bought the house in spite of it costing $7,000 more. And we had all of the repairs done, and everything that they had wanted on the inspection was done, and we had receipts on all the repair work, and everything was fine, and the buyers bought the house. 
and we closed on it on the 15th of May, 2020, as scheduled, and the money was wired to the ministry bank account. The ministry owns a house. So it was wired to the ministry bank account. Everything was fine. But I felt like I wanted to pay the two realtors that had previously represented us and quit. It's a, a woman is the main realtor, and she has an assistant. The assistant put in a lot of time, and I knew it. And the woman had put in a lot of time, and I wanted to give them something. I didn't want them to be without anything. So I sent them each a check for $500 as sort of a gratuity. They had had open houses, and they had spent their time showing that property. And even though it was their fault that they didn't stick with the property, I still wanted them to have something for their time. Now, how do you feel about that? See, I just don't want to take advantage of people. Even if they do the wrong thing, I don't want to be a part of the wrong thing. I don't want to take advantage of them even if they're wrong in what they did. Therefore, we sent them a check, each of them a check for $500. It didn't cover all their expenses, I'm sure, but it was better than nothing. I think that's dealing fairly with people. You don't want to take advantage of people. You don't want to do anything in this life that causes harm to other people or financial damage to another person. We knew we weren't damaging the people that bought the house. Their own realtor said, well, that's no problem. Said for $7,000, they're going to get a mortgage and they won't even notice that they're spending any extra money. So we knew we weren't hurting them. That house was priced $200,000 below its value. So they're getting a really good buy in that house in Texas. So we weren't hurting them. You've got to be sure you're not hurting the other person when you sell something. You don't want to hurt the other person and take advantage of them and be held guilty at the judgment seat of Christ. This is ridiculous to try to get something on this earth and pay for it for all eternity. Suffer loss. I don't know what it means when it says rewards in heaven, but there are rewards in heaven. And there are penalties also. I can tell that by the Bible. As the Apostle John said, live so that you can get a full reward. Well, that's not totally my motive, but you just don't want to hurt another person by your actions. And a lot of times over money, people will do, will do things that hurt other people. So examine yourself. Examine yourself. Paul says, take heed to yourselves. How are we living down here on this earth? How are you handling things? We had another very peculiar situation which occurred during this time when the house was for sale in Texas. There was a woman working for the realty company who was a Catholic. And she went over to the house and buried some type of idol in the flower bed in the backyard. So she said that she could pray 
for the house to sell. I don't have any idea what she was doing. The minute I heard about it, I said, that's witchcraft. We won't be any, we won't have anything to do with witchcraft. So we explained to our realtor, who, one of the two realtors, she's a very young person, I think. And I, we said, that's witchcraft. And she said, oh, she had no idea it was witchcraft. It scared her to death. She went over there immediately and dug the thing up, whatever it was the woman had buried, dug it up and carried it away. We won't have anything to do with witchcraft. So it's not that everything we say is going to make somebody happy. It's going to be the right thing to do. That's what we want, is we do the thing that's right in the sight of God. Maybe it hurt the feeling of the Catholic woman. Well, good. She should examine what she's doing. And if it is not, according to Bible, then she shouldn't be doing it. And one of the things Jesus said is for no man to call any man father. Well, those Catholics do that all the time, calling people father. And in their own Catholic Bible, that verse is in there in Matthew 23, call no man father. I couldn't believe that they let that be in the Catholic Bible. But I had a Catholic friend who... Uh, I went down there and checked one day at Barnes & Noble, checked the Catholic Bible and saw that verse because I told her, I said, the Bible says, call no man father. Anyway, we're not going to protect you when you're doing something wrong according to the Bible. We're going to correct you and give you a chance to do something right and to get out of the wrongdoing. But we're not going to hurt you needlessly. At least we're going to try not to hurt you needlessly. And that's not hurting you. That's helping you when we bring godly corrections to you. Whether you receive them or you don't, we're helping you. Then Paul says, after he says, take heed to yourselves, he said, and to the doctrine of Christ. Take heed to the doctrine Oh, there's so many things being done wrong today against the New Testament Bible. There are so many doctrines set up in churches today that are against the New Testament Bible. These are very serious things. One of the most serious things concerns remarriage after divorce. All of these scriptures that I'm speaking to you today will be printed on our blog if you go to Jesus Ministries Exhortation. Look on the right-hand side of the page where it says Podcast and click on today's podcast, which is Take Heed to Yourself and to the Doctrine, says Paul. Click on that podcast, and when you click on it, you're going to be able to see every one of these scriptures written out for you so you can consider the scriptures again. Concerning divorce and remarriage, Mark chapter 10. And he, Jesus, arose from thence and cometh unto the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resorted unto him again. And as he wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? They said, tempting him. And he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered us to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, 
He wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. At the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. We get to that later. Even if you have sex with a prostitute, Paul says you become one flesh, and he warns them flee fornication. We're going to read that later. But right now, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And Jesus said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus said, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. That is not what they're teaching in the churches today. I know it isn't. How many times have you heard them teach, if a man marries a divorced woman, he commits adultery? How many times have you heard them teach that in this period of time? The Catholics used to teach that, but they quit teaching that. I've never heard it taught in any Protestant church. But here's what Jesus says, Matthew 5:32, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So what Jesus is saying is, if a man divorces a faithful wife, and that faithful wife remarries, she will commit adultery upon the remarriage after divorce. But the husband who divorced the faithful wife will be the cause of her adultery. And the man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. I've heard that twisted at church where they've told the women that if, you, if your husband's unfaithful, you are free to go divorce him, to divorce him and remarry. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is speaking to the men in Matthew 5.32. But if you will compare it with 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is speaking to the New Testament church, and here's what he says. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Now concerning homosexuals and lesbians. There are so many people in churches today who think that it's fine to accept homosexuals and lesbians. What does the Bible say? It's not my opinion, it's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. 
And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Romans chapter 1. That's what God says. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that has to be homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. I think that would be people cheating other people and taking advantage of them, as I talked about in the first part of this uh, podcast. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Then Paul said, and such were some of you. Well, of course we know we were. Before we were born again, didn't we do those, some of those things? But now we're washed, we're sanctified. We are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. After you're born again and have the knowledge of the truth, those are things you don't do. If you do, there's no more sacrifice for sin for you. That's um, first. Uh, that's Hebrews 7, uh, chapter 10. There's no more sacrifice for sin if you are an adulterer and you go back and commit adultery after you're born again. You've already crucified Jesus afresh. Same thing with homosexuals. Same thing with uh, lesbians. Same thing with drunkards. These are sins you committed before you were born again. If you do them after the knowledge of truth, there is no more sacrifice for your sin. To the woman taken in adultery, Jesus said, Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. She couldn't keep doing adultery. That wasn't going to work. Dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ who commit sins of fornication, covetousness, idolatry, railing, drunkenness or extortion. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. No, you don't counsel them. You don't pray for them. You just put them away from you. Now that sounds very wrong, doesn't it? But that's what we're taught in 1 Corinthians 5. See, here's the thing. After you have the knowledge of the truth about the sin, there's no more sacrifice for sin. You can't do it. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will repay, 
saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Yes, God will judge each one who does these things after he is born again. But we have to make a decision to put them away from us, just like Paul said to do. I've had to do this before. And Paul said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 6, here's an interesting passage of scripture, which I often wondered about. Hebrews chapter 6, start at verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It's impossible to bring them to repentance if they have already been born again and have the knowledge of the truth of the sin and choose willfully to do the sin. It's impossible to restore them. So what hope is there for them? Is there any hope for them? There is a hope for them, and I'll show you what it is. The hope for them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 1, Paul says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up. In other words, instead of doing the right thing, they heard about the fornication and they said, Oh, how terrible. I would never do that. They were puffed up. And you have not rather mourned. We should be grieving when we see sin in the church. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Paul says, For I verily as absent in the body, but present in spirit hath judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I think by putting them out of the church, that's the hope you have for them, that the flesh be destroyed by Satan once they're put out of the church, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. But I don't think you're going to give them any hope whatsoever if you counsel them and pray for them and do opposite from what Paul says to do. Just put them away from you. You might not have the power to put them out of a church group, but you certainly have the power to say to that person, hey, you're committing fornication? And the person says, yes, I am. And you say, I can't have anything to do with you. You know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you anymore. You can do that individually. I've done it. I did it with a person that I cared very much about when I found out he was committing fornication, and when he admitted to me, yes, I am having sex with this woman. I said to him, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you. He was our Bible teacher at church at Word of Faith. 
I loved him very much. And when I said, I can't come to your classes anymore. I can't have anything to do with you anymore. You know the Bible as well as I do. You know what he said to me? Yeah, that's right. He didn't seem to care. Put him away from you. Let the devil destroy his flesh. And that is what happened to this man. Later, he told me that that's what had happened to him. He said fornication is no longer a problem to me because he he implied to me he couldn't have sex anymore. I think that's his only hope is to have the flesh destroyed. And the same thing with other sinners who call themselves brothers, who call themselves Christians. Paul said, now you don't judge the world, but judge the church. You shouldn't have this in the church. I've had to judge a woman who was in our group who was a railer. She railed out against me. We couldn't have anything to do with her. We loved her, but we couldn't continue with her. She's no longer with us. You can't do these things the way that seems right to you. You must do them the way the Bible says to do them. That will work. Hebrews second, I mean second Peter chapter two. Listen to this one. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if after they've escaped they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter chapter 2. So if they're continuing, if they go back and do these sins after they're born again, we just don't have any choice but to put them away from us. We have to do that. That's what the Bible says to do. We have to take that action. That's the only hope we have that they can be saved. Because they crucify Jesus afresh if they try to go any other direction. Let Satan destroy their flesh that the soul might be saved in the day of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 5. There are so many other doctrines that are not followed today in the churches. One is that they call themselves popes or archbishops or reverend and all kinds of things which are not in the Bible. The ministers in the Bible, after Jesus arose, when he set up the New Testament church, he called the ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers and teachers. Ephesians chapter 4, this is what we must go by. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he, Jesus, led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
He gave these gifts to the church. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those are the ministries given to the church, the New Testament church, when Jesus set up the church after he arose. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, no minister in the church is called reverend. No minister in the New Testament Bible is called reverend. When they're called reverend and when they allow themselves to be called reverend, they exalt themselves. When you call yourself apostle, you don't exalt yourself. You simply are stating your office to which you are called. But because it's in the Bible, Paul called himself apostle several times. In the first verse of many of his epistles, he identified himself as an apostle. Why? Because then they would know what work they could expect to be seen done by Paul. An apostle is very different from an evangelist. A prophet is very different from an evangelist. You don't expect a prophet to do the work of an evangelist, and you don't expect an evangelist to do the work of, an, of a prophet. You can have multiple offices. Paul was an apostle and teacher. I am apostle prophet. There's a difference in these offices, and God teaches us how to do the office when we are truly called to do the office. Many people don't know what they're called to do, and some people aren't called to do anything and put them in the themselves in the ministries and copy other ministers and say they're a pastor when they're not really anything. But when you're really called by Jesus and put in the church to work with the church, He's the one who teaches you what to do in that office. All these things are so important for the church today. Concerning fornication, this is just critical. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? Even if you have sex with a prostitute, you become one body, is what Paul is saying. At the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. And then Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's a sin unlike all other sins fornication is. We sure need that today. Look at what the television is showing people. It's showing them, it's just a shame if you haven't had sexual intercourse with somebody. That's really how it's presented today. 
it's hard to be happy over people who are getting married because usually they've already been having sex for a year or more before they had the wedding. Some are even pregnant. Some even have a child before the marriage. How can we be happy over that? At the time of sexual intercourse, the two people become one flesh, even if you have sex with a prostitute. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. I tell you, this sin today is just so rampant. It's just very, very difficult today. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that because of the wickedness would abound in the last days, the love of many would grow cold. And I believe he means the love for the word of God would grow cold. But he who endures to the end, the same will be saved. That enduring at this period of time takes prayer. You have to Pray for God to help you to endure with all this wickedness that's going on. Don't let me be swept away by this wickedness. This is the prayer I often pray. Now concerning one other thing, bishop and elder. A bishop and an elder, according to the Bible, is the same thing. We see that in um, Titus chapter 1. A bishop and an elder are the same thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying, If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, and then he says, One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. A bishop cannot be an unmarried man, as the Catholics have unmarried bishops. That can't be, according to the Bible. He must be the husband of one wife. He must rule his children and prove to the church that he has his own children under control. For it says in verse 5, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? There is so much perversion today. A bishop or an elder, same thing, must be married. He can't be a single man. He must be married, he must have multiple children, and he must demonstrate that he knows how to care for his own household. Otherwise, how can you expect him to care for the church? Oh, there's so much awful stuff in the churches today. Not just in the Catholic Church, which is totally horrible, but in the Protestant churches. I told you about the person at our Bible class who was having sex with his girlfriend. He's the teacher of our Bible class. He was also called, he was an elder at Word of Faith. He wasn't even married. He had been divorced and had one child by a previous wife. But that doesn't fit any of the qualifications for elder. Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. The Bible matters. And if the smallest thing in the Bible doesn't matter to you, how can the largest thing in the Bible matter? 
you're already a goner. Everything in the Bible matters, and you should be concerned about it. You should be interested in it. Every one of these things I've spoken today are printed for you on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Go to the podcast, click on this broadcast, and you will see all of these scriptures printed. You must renew your mind to the Word of God, not to the doctrines of your church, to the doctrines of the Holy Bible. And your church has to fit the Bible If it does not, I wouldn't stay there. I would not gather with a church group where these rules have been changed away from the scriptures. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.